the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's contrary to all these other churches in Revelation 2 and 3. In Sardis, the defective members were in the majority. And I would say that is true of many, many churches in the United States of America today. Whitewash. It looks great on the outside. Just a slight little scratch, though, and you get the true nature of what's underneath. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Today, we return to the book of Revelation. We're focusing on the seven churches. Today, we're looking once again at the church at Sardis. Oh, they look alive. They've got some great works going on, but Jesus said they're dead. And even still, It's a warning in the hopes that they would come alive. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner today as we are reminded of God's grace in the midst of turmoil and trial. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. There are usually two kinds of tyranny that arise in these churches, which faithfulness to the headship of Christ can help the church avoid. The first is human tyranny. The tyranny of man in the church. Some powerful preacher or a group of people that forces man-made rules and regulations on the church. Even though those man-made rules and regulations are not to be found in scripture, in evangelical churches in this country, they add to the word of God so that they can seem to be more spiritual and more godly. There are to this very day, many in fact, churches that require total abstinence of any alcoholic beverages from their leaders and frown upon it from their members. Abstinence of liquor is not a command in the Bible. That is a command that is superimposed by men on the church because It's thought to be good for the church not to do it. It doesn't matter. It is tyranny. Whenever the church has rules and regulations or liturgies or rites and rituals that originate with man, then that church is under the tyranny of man. It is under human tyranny. It is not being faithful to the headship of Christ. And the headship of Christ can save us from that human tyranny. But there's a second kind of tyranny in many evangelical churches today, and that is mystic tyranny. Mystic tyranny that says, basically, forget the written laws of the Bible. That's just too legalistic sounding. Just allow the spirit from within to direct the church and to direct the members of the church. You know, you just fill yourself up 
with the Holy Spirit and he will be the hand and you the glove and he will direct the church from within by warm feelings and by feeling of certainty and things like that in the heart. That's another kind of tyranny. If someone comes to you and says, the Lord told me that we should do this. Oh, I, I didn't literally hear a voice. But the Lord pressed something on my heart the other day. Well, there is no way to criticize something like that effectively except to say the Lord doesn't speak verbally to anyone anymore in some tiny inner voice or any other way except by his written word. The Lord hasn't said anything to anyone for 2,000 years. Because to say such a thing is to criticize the Bible. Whereas the Bible is the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it is so complete a revelation of the will of God for our lives that we need no further voices or words from God about His will. Everything we need to know about his will is in the pages of this book. So there is a mystic tyranny today. And think about this. How often does it happen in the church that someone says, well, the Lord told me I should do this, and I really think we should do it. I really feel definitely led that we should do this in the church they make a distinction between feeling and truly being led by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That is two entirely different things. So if you don't emphasize and are not faithful to the headship of Christ, the church will come under tyranny, either human tyranny or mystic tyranny. And both of those heresies deprive Christians of their freedom in Christ and they rob the church of effective service to God all right that is the identity of the one who was sent who has sent this letter he holds the seven spirits and the seven stars in his hands second in all of the letters so far there were commendations remember he says something good about all of them not here. That in itself says a thousand words. Jesus commends these other churches, but he has no words of commendation for the church at Sardis. But he does have some complaints, and we're going to look at those. It says in verse 1, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So he starts out by saying, I know the reality of your situation. You can't fool me. You see, Jesus sees behind the masks and behind the facades and behind the false professions of faith. The spiritual decay and the spiritual deadness of the church in Sardis was not outwardly observable by man, but it was clear as a bell to Christ. 
The problem I have with you, church, is that you are dead. Now, this spiritual deadness, everyone but Christ thought the church of Sardis was a great church. People in the city, the church leaders, everyone thought Sardis was a great church. It looked alive. Only Jesus realized it was spiritually dead. Now, notice that contrary to other letters of Christ to these churches in Turkey, there is no mention of persecution here. The church wasn't being persecuted by the society because it looked just like the society. There was no obvious heretical teaching there, but no one really cared. Uh, They didn't really worry about what was being taught. You might say that in Sardis, the church was at peace. No arguing. Everyone got along. It was full of peace. The peace of a cemetery. Greg Bonson refers to the church of Sardis as a church full of zombies. Oh, they looked alive. They moved around like they were alive, but they were spiritually dead. So, zombies, you ask in what sense? Apathetic, careless, easygoing, carefree, passive Christian lives. No real threat or challenge to the city in which it lived. This church lacked aggressive, energetic Christianity. That is, it did not live by or press home the claims of Christ's law upon themselves or upon others. And bear in mind, if a church doesn't have this aggressive, energetic Christianity, this vigorous living by the word of God and pressing the claims of that word on other people, this world has no reason to oppose it. That is why it wasn't persecuted. It wasn't worth being persecuted. It was no threat to the evil society of Sardis. The people in the church were as easygoing with their Christianity as the people of Sardis were easygoing in their own lives. And you don't need to oppose such a church. A dead church is of no threat whatsoever to a dead and evil culture. You don't have to try and squash it out of existence. You don't have to try and discredit it. You have no need to oppose or to persecute it because, trust me, it will die on its own. And there are a lot of churches in the United States that are never persecuted by the society in which we live as perverted and as evil as this society is. And the church will not be persecuted by the society because they are dead. Now, if you have a vigorous Christianity and you seek to press the claims of that Christianity upon the culture, you will be persecuted. People will speak evil of you. You will be opposed. You'll be slandered. What you are said to believe will be exaggerated. It will be caricatured. You will be looked upon as if you were on the fringe of Christianity. And people will say, you have to be wrong because you are the tiny minority. And the majority, they disagree with you. 
So as a result of standing firm for Christ and pressing his claims upon other people, we will be looked upon as bigoted, fanatic, extreme, and dangerous. And those things have been said about you and RHC. But we must make sure that if we are being persecuted by this culture, it is not our fault. That it is not because of offensive ways that we have expressed through harsh words or that we are somehow unloving toward other people. Make sure whatever persecution or slander you experience is not because of sin in your own life. And if a church is not being persecuted by the world, if it is not being persecuted by the state, if it is not being persecuted by apostate churches and leaders, it should ask the question, why not? Now, I'm not talking about having a martyr complex by any means. We should not ever go out and pursue persecution. We should try to be as peaceful as we can. But the point is, if we are not being persecuted at all, and if those who stand for the truth and press the claims of Christ upon a culture are not persecuted, you must ask, why is that church not being persecuted by the culture? Maybe it's because it is dead. There is also one thing interesting about the church of Sardis that distinguishes it from the other churches. Look at verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, it's the few. You have a few members in the church there at Sardis that haven't sold out. The point I want to make is, as contrary to all these other churches in Revelation 2 and 3, in Sardis, the defective members were in the majority. In the other churches, those who Christ had a compliment for were in the minority. The church of Sardis It is the majority of people in the church that Christ had a complaint with. And I would say that is true of many, many churches in the United States of America today where the majority of the people are in rebellion against God and are spiritually dead, walking, talking zombies. Today's churches are active. They have fantastic programs and and buildings. They have prayer meetings. They have conferences. They have seminars. They have all kinds of community projects. But they are zombies. Inside, spiritually, they are dead. Oh, everyone thinks they are alive except for Jesus. There is a verse that I want us to look at that tells us There are people who are active in the church and they give a lot of money to the church and they give a lot of time in the various ministries of the church, but they have no real spiritual life. And that is 2 Timothy 3, 5. It says this concerning some church members holding to a form 
of godliness, although they deny its power and then avoid such men as these. From the outside, boy, they look like top-notch Christians. They're doing everything a Christian should do. They're active in all the programs of the church. They have the form of godliness, but no real life. They deny the power of godliness. It is all simply an empty shell. And it is all external. No real fire for Christ in their innermost being. These are the churches that teach easy believism. What is easy believism? They teach in one way or another that it is the easiest thing in the world to become a Christian. There's no real pain in it. There's no real anguish. There's no real conviction. There's no real burden or grief. There's no self-hatred. You believe these four principles and make a decision for Jesus and you're in. It's an easy kind of believism that does not include conviction of sin and struggling with self. And many of the churches in Silicon Valley have preachers who teach this easy believism. Sorry, Silicon Valley. And these dead churches are basically passive antinomians. There's a whole lot of, a whole movement today called sonship. Sure, some of you have heard of it, and it's pretty much eating up many Presbyterian churches in America. And it is spilled out into other churches that says, in essence, the Christian life is simply doing what you did when you became a Christian every morning. And that is just receive Jesus as your Savior every morning. Now, that is an oversimplification again, but I want you to get the point here. There is nothing in it about obeying God's law. There is nothing in it about avoiding sin. There is nothing in it about repentance. All of these things are said to be legalistic by them and harsh and unloving. And that is what a dead church looks like, my friends. It preaches easy believism. It makes absolutely no demands upon the lives of the congregation. Notice what else he says. He says, I see your deeds. I know that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Then in verse 3 it says, So remember what you have received and heard and repent. And in verse 2 he says, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So his complaints are, number one, they are spiritually dead, though they look alive and everyone else thinks they're alive, except Jesus. And secondly, their deeds are incomplete. You see, they did just enough of the right things to look like they were doing right. And they were, what they were doing looked good to man and their church was looked upon as vibrant and successful. But the works they did did not have any real substance. And they didn't confirm their confession of faith. In fact, their works eventually became pharisaical. That is, they would condemn other people, 
but they would never look inside and criticize themselves. So those are the complaints that Jesus had with his church. Serious complaints. Pray that he will not make those complaints against us, my friends. Ask yourself the question, are you spiritually dead? Oh, you all look pretty vibrant, most of you. You look all alive to me, but I'm not the one that really knows. How does Jesus look at you? That's the question. Second, are your deeds complete? Or do you do just enough things to get by, but there's no real depth, no real substance? So now he gives them a fivefold exhortation. Verse 2 Wake up, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. Verse 3 Remember what you have received and heard, and keep and repent, keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour I will come to you. So now, what is the exhortation? First of all, wake up, be watchful, be alert, be on guard. On guard. Remember Sardis? They thought the city was impregnable. They stopped being vigilant. They were no longer careful to guard their boundaries. So the enemies crept in and destroyed them. In spite of the fact that the city seemed impregnable, it fell to the enemy when the enemy found one little crack. People asleep. We must not only have the appearance of impregnability, we must show ourselves to be so beloved. We must be on guard. We must be watchful. Never let your guard down the rest of your life. That's why Paul said, don't grow weary in well-doing. Not this month, next month, next year, the year after that. The rest of your life. And I know it is wearying, keeping your guard up. But you signed on to the battlefield. Until the day you die, once you put your guard down, that's when your enemy will come in with a punch and he will bring you down. As long as this life lasts, don't let your guard down. Don't let this world in, which we don't, do not trust this world in which we live. Wake up, be watchful, be alert. After all, the Bible says, he who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Then after telling them to wake up, he tells them to establish themselves. That is, strengthen the things that remain. Rebuild, reconstruct, take the strength that you have as small as it is. Take the little faith that you have left. Don't discount it. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. The majority is against you. 
But take what life and what strength you have and rework it and rebuild the church. It doesn't have to remain in this condition, even though the majority is against you. Work with what you have, or you will die in your sleep. Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time we will reap if we do not faint. Hebrews 12, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 